Good morning, Rob. Good morning, everyone else. And I'm going to offer you a group hug. Can you do that to each other like this? <laughs> you can hear a little bit in my voice, perhaps, that I picked up a bug from somebody. This is pretty early in the fall for me to have my fall cold, but I'm not hugging up close. I'm not kissing people today. I'm not shaking hands. I'm a former hospital bacteriologist. So today, and for the fall, I advise you to do elbow bumps, fist bumps, or hip bumps if you want to. <laughs> At least do it from a distance so you don't share more than you need to with others. So um, I'm a hugger, but not today. <laughs> Sorry. I um, am glad to be here again. I was here two years ago. I've known Rob for quite a while now. I'm glad to see you sitting up and hope that you're spending sufficient time in bed and resting, Rob. This is your pastor mentor speaking. <laughs> I would like to ask that we bow in prayer for a moment. Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you this day. Oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm a PK, a preacher's kid, and I'm the oldest of six kids. My dad served four covenant churches during my growing up years, my childhood and teens, the first in Klamath Falls, Oregon, southern Oregon, south of Crater Lake. And though I was not quite four when we left there, I have vivid memories. I don't have a very good memory either, but I have vivid memories <laughs> of a few special people and events during that time. The church was three stories tall, an older building, and it was tucked in a narrow lot between other downtown buildings in Klamath Falls, including the great big Elks Club next door that was about six stories and a liquor store on the corner. The sanctuary was on the street level, the entry level, seated about 200 people. In the basement, the fellowship hall was very well used. In fact, I think that there was always good food smell down there because there was always food and plenty of it whenever anybody gathered. Our family lived on the second and third floor above the church sanctuary. I don't know of any other covenant churches like that. <laughs> and it was a two-bedroom apartment. The bedrooms were on the top floor. Uh, and um, it included a large window in the dining area that looked right down into the sanctuary. You haven't seen that before either, have you? <laughs> well, uh, um, my first memory of church was when I was probably about two. My next sister is a year and a half younger, and my mom had had to leave the service. And so I was standing on a dining room chair as my mom was seated next to me nursing my sister. And so I remember vividly watching my dad preach as I stood on that chair and looked down into that sanctuary. Um, I don't know any other PKs that have that particular memory. <laughs> A second vivid memory is my dad preparing an extra bowl of oatmeal and a cup of coffee in the morning to take downstairs to the street level 
stairs from our apartment opened right into the outside entryway of the church. And there was often someone who couldn't make it home after last night's binge, someone who was sleeping it off in that church entryway or in the alley next to our garage. Sometimes dad stayed outside with them for quite a while. Or sometimes in the colder days, he invited them into the fellowship hall and invited them to use the bathroom to clean up a little bit. And I grew up thinking this was normal. I grew up thinking that every dad helped others who needed some food and some shelter or warmth and a ride home. That was just normal. Every place we lived in Klamath Falls, in West Point, California, a little logging town up in the mountains, in Seattle, Washington, and in Duluth, Minnesota, it was normal for our family table to be expanded for people. Not just oatmeal or coffee, but the whole family dinner on a regular basis. There were such a variety of people that came as guests at our table over the years. There were many missionaries and pastors, uh, as well as all sorts of lonely and needy people of all ages and all backgrounds, various races, such huge variety of stories. And so sh while sharing thousands of fried chickens, and I mean that, <laughs> over the years, and mountains of mashed potatoes. We loved mashed potatoes and mom's chicken. And I don't know how many homemade fruit pies. We were learning to share good food and warm fellowship with people we'd never met before. It was just normal to have strangers who became friends at our table. We were also learning to listen to their life stories and their experiences, experiences that were so much different than ours. What a wonderful mix of people we were privileged to meet during those very formative years. Years later, I began to wonder why and how all these people came to be at our family table. I don't think we had a sign on the door. But I began to realize that many of our guests could never reciprocate. Most of the pastors and missionaries who visited our home lived too far away to invite us for dinner in their homes. Congo and Japan and Colombia and Ecuador and lots of other places. That just wasn't feasible for a family of eight on a small church's pastor's salary. <laughs> and for those who live nearby, a family of eight would totally overwhelm a college student's dorm room or a widow's small apartment. I do remember one widow, older widow, who invited all of us for dinner one time. I probably took her two days to get ready. And I imagine she was a little fearful that all these kids might break some of her precious little knickknacks. She had them all over the place. <laughs> but she served us, and we sat, some of us, on the floor because her table was too small. But she loved every minute of it. 
Some of these folks were barely scraping by on low-wage jobs or just Social Security. But I began to realize over time that mom and dad had learned to watch for the strangers, to watch for the first-time visitors to church, for the new neighbors, or for anyone who seemed to be overlooked or excluded in the places where we were, even in the church. Others may well have wondered why those people kept getting invited to our house. Let's consider today's gospel story with this in mind. Consider what is being said about offering hospitality to those people. Listen to the words of Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and places it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. Now many of us are familiar with this parable of the lost sheep. In religious art, it's most often depicted as Jesus carrying a little lamb, but that's not what the text says. It says, a lost sheep. You ever been around sheep? Up close and personal? This is a full-grown critter that's wandered away from the flock. That fluffy wool that's depicted as all white and neat and tidy in the pictures, you talk to anybody who's worked with sheep, ain't so neat and tidy dirty, full of all sorts of twigs and leaves and poop, actually, (laughs) that gets trapped in that wool. Not such a pleasant, full-grown critter. And besides, this one's been wandering away from the flock, extra dirty, extra loaded with all sorts of stuff. He's been away from the guidance and care of the shepherd. Now, this is just one sheep out of a hundred. Some would say that, especially business people would say, well, a 1% loss is just being in the sheep business. That's what happens. But this sheep owner leaves the 99 in the care of hired hands and goes out to search for this one lost sheep. The sheep owner pursues this wandering, vulnerable sheep until it is found. 
The parable states that when this one sheep is found, the owner's so thrilled that he hefts that big sheep right onto his shoulders and carries it all the way home. Try it, Rob, but not today, okay? <laughs> not only that, he plans a party to celebrate the return of this one lost sheep. All his friends and neighbors are invited to the party. And you can be sure this will be a memorable celebration. Lots of good food and time taken to be sure to share this lost and found story with the whole community. That is the point of the party. So this party, this time of table fellowship, serves to remind everyone that each and every sheep is valued by this good shepherd. Finding one lost sheep is worth celebrating, for that means that the flock is 100% restored, once again complete. There are no, there's no one missing in that flock. How many times have we as the people of God affirmed that the Lord is our shepherd? You know that Psalm 23 is the favorite psalm in America. Not in other parts of the world, interestingly. When I was a chaplain at one of the Covenant Retirement Facilities, that was the most requested scripture for memorial services. It's the favorite psalm because it assures those who fear being lost and forgotten that the Lord is the only God, the only God whose goodness and mercy will pursue us how long? For all the days of our lives. Surely goodness and mercy, the goodness and mercy of God will pursue us, follow us every day, all the days of our lives. God's chasing us down with goodness, with kindness, with care. This is the God who, as we know from another favorite verse in the United States, John 3.16, deeply, steadily loves just you, just me, the whole world. God so loved the world, everyone, everyone. And this God gives preferential care to those who get lost on their way through life. We are, through this parable, being called to join in celebrating each wanderer whom our good and merciful God pursues and brings home into our neighborhood into our church, into our larger community. Each and every one, for God loves the whole world and every person in it. It's a lot of people over the centuries. Have you thought about that? Everyone. Now let's focus on those verses that we sometimes skip, skip over, the ones that frame this parable that Jesus told. Listen again to verses 1 and 2. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. And the Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
These are church folks who are grumbling because of those people who are attracted to Jesus. Jesus is welcoming tax collectors of all people. They were Jews who were not only working for the Roman government, but who typically raised the tax bills and were allowed to do so in Jewish neighborhoods even beyond what the Romans had demanded because that was their pay. Whatever they could raise above the basics is what they earned for themselves. They were known as a collective group to be pretty greedy. Now Jesus is welcoming tax collectors. And Jesus is also welcoming all kinds of sinners, those who have been labeled for violating one or more of the 613 laws found in the Torah. Jesus is not only attracting and welcoming and talking with those kinds of people, but he's even eating with them. And that's totally unclean and unacceptable and risky behavior for a Jew. Grumble, grumble, grumble. You've never heard that, have you? Especially not in church. Well, Jesus responds to their grumbling by telling this short parable about the lost sheep. So think about it. Do you think the best title for this gospel story is what we normally call it, the parable of the lost sheep? Or should it be titled the parable of the good shepherd? Or perhaps the parable of the big party? Carl Olson is former president of our denominational school, North Park College and Seminary in Chicago. Wrote a book many years ago based on Luke 15 and he entitled it, Come to the Party. Would you be inclined to invite these grumblers to come to your big party? This also seems a, a good time to revisit verses 6 and 7. When the shepherd arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate with me because I found my lost sheep. And then Jesus added a little extra comment beyond the parable. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need, or at least think they have no need, to change their hearts and lives. Jesus asserts that there is a heavenly shout of great joy when change is apparent in one person's life, one person's heart. If we're honest, we know that each and all of us have sinned. Distancing ourselves from God and wandering away from God's kingdom community, it's God who keeps that relationship open. It's God who pursues us with goodness and kindness. It's God who seeks us with steady, unrelenting love. This is the God who is filled with joy when we open the ears of our heart, when we hear the still small voice of God calling us, when we allow that steady stream of God's love and mercy to carry us back into the community 
of God's people. As we learn to celebrate God's amazing grace, as we learn to invite others to the party, to the table, to share our story, we also learn to share how our hearts and our lives have been changed by the Good Shepherd, this shepherd who is always taking compassionate care of us. Our attitude toward God and our relationship toward God and with others will be changed if we will listen to God's still small voice of love and accept God's hugs. Our attitude toward others, our life with all sorts of people in the community, in our neighborhood, in our larger area will also be changed. Another book written by covenant leader Carl Olson was entitled, Find Yourself in the Bible. And he invited us to apply that invitation to every scripture that we read and study together. I would invite you to apply that invitation to today's gospel reading. Which character in today's text best fits you? Well, we have a tendency, first of all, to decide that I'm going to be Jesus. And it's important to realize that we are not Jesus, that there was one and only one Son of God. So you can't be Jesus. Secondly, the parable repeats an image of the shepherd that's often used in the Old Testament, an image that points to God. So we are not actually being invited to place ourselves in the role of God either. Did you know that? You are not Jesus, and you are not God, and actually you're not the Holy Spirit either. <laughs> That's reserved for the one true God. So that leaves us with just a few challenging options to consider to find ourselves in this text. So do you find yourself with those who have been labeled and excluded as sinners? Or do you find yourself better suited to consider that you might be one of those insiders who are grumbling as Jesus welcomes and eats with those other people? Hmm. Doesn't feel very good, does it? The reality is, as we are reminded in Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Here's how Eugene Peterson translates Romans 3, 23 and 24 in the message. There is no difference between us and those people. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives that God wills for us, God put us in right standing with God's self out of sheer generosity, a pure gift. God got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where God wanted us to be. And God did it by means of Jesus Christ. God does not respond to what we do 
we respond to what God has already done for us. It is God who sets things right for outsiders as well as for insiders. This God continues to seek every one of us when we're grumbling, when we're greedy like tax collectors, when we're lost sheep, sinners who have wandered away from the good shepherd. It's God's goodness and mercy that keeps pursuing us, and God's goal is to bring each and every one of us back home to share the food and the fellowship that Jesus offers. It is the spirit of the risen Jesus who has whispered in your heart and led you into this church community. Did you know that? God chose you before you ever heard of restoration. It's the spirit who keeps calling you to this feast of friendship, calling you to celebrate your personal encounter with God, the God of steadfast love. There's great joy in heaven as your heart and life are being changed in relationship to God and to each other. And furthermore, we are being called to share this kingdom hospitality with others, to welcome others to our tables, to share food and stories, and to celebrate God's loving care. My parents, I realized years later, had learned very early to listen to the still, small voice of the Spirit. The nudges that encouraged them to welcome folks on the edge, especially those who were lonely and need, needy and friendless. There was always room for another chair or two at the table. There was always more than enough food to share even though I grew up thinking that chicken breasts were only this big. <laughs> and if the pieces of pie were smaller on a given dinner time, then the scoops of ice cream were larger. There was always time to sit after dessert if these new friends finally felt comfortable enough to share their stories and their needs or their concerns about broken relationships in their lives. And I learned later that mom and dad shared more than food and table fellowship. They opened their hearts and shared much more behind the scenes as they were able. A lot of names and faces and stories have come to mind as I've mulled this text this week. Let me just tell you about a few. I remember Bill Whitefeather in Klamath Falls, Oregon. Bill was Native American. He was in a good place by the time I met him as a three or four year old. And it turned out that part of his story was he was the grandson of Sitting Bull. And his heritage story was quite interesting. And he was very articulate about how God had called him through some really tough times early in his life on the reservation and called him into ministry. He was a traveling evangelist, and he had the whole Native American rig from his tribe, and the chiefs 
bonnet, big long feather bonnet that was authentic. I didn't know enough to ask very many questions because I was too young, but I'd love to sit down and talk with him now. What a rich story. What a privilege to meet him. And then in the mountains of California, there was Mrs. McMinn. She lived about two blocks in this little town from us. And mom would send my sister Joyce and I down to Mrs. McMinn's house every week because um, she gave her offering, the only thing she could afford, in the form of two dozen eggs a week to the church. That's all. She didn't have much cash. She was barely making it. But we would go to visit her two blocks down the street, and she'd take us into the hen house and have us meet the hens, and then she would sit, gather a few more eggs, and candle them right in front of us and talk to us and share. What an interesting friend she was. And she came to dinner once in a while. We didn't have eggs at those dinners. <laughs> Probably chicken and mashed potatoes and apple pie. I think of the Ezratis in Seattle. They lived across the street from us, very mixed neighborhood. I didn't find out till 20 years later that my high school was less than majority white. I just never thought about it. Um, but the Ezratis lived across the street. They were Orthodox Jews, the parents and, and their son Jackie. Parents had immigrated from Eastern Europe quite a number of years ago. But the only job that Victor could find as a butcher was in a non-kosher butcher shop. And because of that, and there weren't other jobs that he could find in kosher shops, they were excluded from the Orthodox synagogue near us. My parents befriended them. They kept the Sabbath. They kept the high holy holidays by themselves. But over the years, there was a strong friendship that developed there. And when my parents went back to visit, years after we had moved away, Lucy said to my mom, you're the only friends that we had here. I thank God for you. How about Bill and Oscar Johnson? These two brothers in their 80s when I met them in Duluth had worked as laborers for the railroad for many years. Never married, lived in a little simple apartment and were just barely surviving on Social Security. No pension for laborers. And they had never made much money. Bill and Oscar were wonderful, smiling, kind of raggedy guys. They each had one old sport coat. Well, actually, it was a suit coat they bought at Salvation Army. And the pockets were very misshapen, stretched out of shape, because they kept a little bit of their money every week and went to Woolworths downtown and bought packages of gum. And they stood in the narthex after church. This church had welcomed them. They stood in the narthex after church every Sunday and handed out packets of gum to all the kids. Everybody knew Uncle Bill and Uncle Oscar, the gum men. <laughs> and their grins were out to here. Because my parents and that church had welcomed them into that community. Um, their TV, their little tiny black and white TV, finally gave up, gave up and died. <laughs> and that was one of their, they were, they both had medical issues. It was hard for them to walk, but they did get on the bus every week and go to Wal uh, Walgreens downtown. Um, they, uh, 
They were really, so dad talked to some folks and collected some money and they went and bought them a television, a color television. <laughs> and um, they just couldn't get over how the church would help them. They were at our dinner table, uh, both before and after I left for college many times. They were wonderful, wonderful, simple old men. But God had changed their hearts and touched them and brought them into that community. There are countless more people I could tell you about. But it is the food and the friendship around the table that forged those relationships that have marked me and changed my heart and my life in relation to other people. And today it is, if you are hearing God speak to you, it's the spirit of the risen Christ who is whispering to your heart. First of all, led you to this church community, brought you back here today, it's the same spirit who keeps calling you to feast on the friendships and relationships that are here. To celebrate your personal encounter with God through Jesus Christ, the God of steadfast love. There's great joy in heaven as your heart and life is being changed in relationship to God and to others. And furthermore, it's important to remember that we are being called to share kingdom hospitality with others, and most especially, most especially, with people who are on the outside, who are living on the edge, who are considered to be sinners by others. And it is our grumbling about those sinners that God wants to change in us. For we have all sinned and come short of God's glory, but God will seek us and find us and bring us back and celebrate what God is doing in our lives to reflect the love and the mercy and the care and the kindness and the patience that God brings to us. So what, may we this day hear the Spirit calling us Consider these words as I close. Marge Hardcastle writes this. Hospitality is lived out in the day-to-day -day through becoming available and vulnerable to the stranger, to people who are different from us, and through unwanted interruptions. Hospitality is not cozy and comforting. And Jesus has said in the prior chapter, it's not just about inviting the people that will invite you back. Hospitality is risky and world-rattling. Encounters where God's grace and kindness are practiced. It is hospitality modeled on the one who lost his good reputation because of the company he kept. But through his acts of risky hospitality, this one enabled people to have sacred encounters with the God who changes lives. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you will open the ears of our heart to hear your tender, loving message for us. We ask that you will open our hearts 
and our lives to others. Help us to take those risks with strangers. Help us to um, invite others to share what we have around the table and in friendship. Help us to gain their trust so that they can share their story and we can help them to see how you are at work bringing them back into community, into your kingdom community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.